You are listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land. Taylor Sanders. I work for the Quivira Coalition as the New Agrarian Program's Colorado Manager. I myself come from the suburbs of Arizona with a non-agricultural background and through several apprenticeships learned enough to start my own farm, Longtable Farmstead in Lyons, Colorado. I think it's so important for beginning agrarians to hear as many stories as possible from other farmers and ranchers. It's a hard career to be in, but it can be easier with the community to help. My guest today is Alyssa Barsanti, owner of Marigold Land and Livestock in Basalt, Colorado. Alyssa and I work together at Aspen Center for Environmental Studies at Rock Bottom Ranch, and ever since, we've been friends and one of each other's go-to sources for farming advice. I think her story is really helpful for other beginning farmers. I hope you enjoy our interview. Tell me about yourself and how you got into farming. Yeah, so... uh... Basically, in college, I was studying nutrition and um, had always loved food and was interested in kind of how the body metabolized food and just general nutrition. And then as I kind of progressed in that, I really wanted to be a sports dietitian for a while in college. Then I kind of recognized that I um, wasn't as passionate about that as I thought I was. And I started to become intrigued as to how food was grown. Um, not just how your body processes it. And so then after graduating college, I moved up to Northern Vermont and worked at a farm to school nonprofit. And that's where I really was exposed to farms for the first time. I kind of grew up in a rural area that now I notice the farms and appreciate the farms. But as a kid, I looked past them. So Northern Vermont was like the first time that I was around farms and wanted to be around farms and like paid attention Um, and so I started volunteering on a farm there, but I still wasn't sure that I wanted to farm. I was like kind of scared to like commit to a season. And so then I moved out to Colorado and I cooked at a restaurant for the winter, but was definitely after that season eager to get back outside on a farm. So I started volunteering at Rock Bottom Ranch and then they like, I've I don't know, a few months later, I volunteered like three or four times. They had like a two day a week job position open. And I was like, perfect. This isn't committing a whole season. Cause I'd been like looking at season positions. Um, and a lot of them like weren't paid or like you paid or like very low stipend. And I just like, wasn't committed enough to sacrifice that. So the two day a week part-time job was a great fit. It allowed me to like get exposure, but not commit my entire life to it yet. Um, and so, yeah, that's essentially how it started. What brought you to Aspen in particular? Cause that's where you worked in a restaurant, right? Yeah. I wanted to ski. So 
after graduating college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I was like farming, like nutrition, culinary. So I was like, I'll cook in a restaurant and ski. And that'll help me like figure out if that's something I'm interested in. And I enjoyed cooking, but it wasn't the career path that I wanted. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this year you started up your own, your first livestock operation. Tell us about Marigold Livestock Co. Yeah. So, um, first season, um, it is a pasture based livestock operation. So raising, um, diverse species on pasture, rotating them around, um, raising animals with super high animal welfare standards and trying to build healthy soils and sequester carbon and then provide food for people, for our community. And so um, I have chickens so far. I have meat chickens and I am getting turkey chicks and more meat chicks, turkey bolts next week. And then I'm picking up my first batch of sheep in like two weeks, um, my first group of breeding ewes, which I'm super excited about. And um, I plan to buy sheep from a few different people this like summer and then breed them all in the fall and start lambing next spring. And I really want to get cattle. So that, I don't know exactly when that will come into play. Maybe not until like year two, year three, um, kind of depending on opportunities and whatnot. And then laying hens as well. I imagine I'll probably get laying chicks like late winter, early spring and raise those out. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a slow-ish start, but hopefully not too slow, like trying to gain momentum and build a production livestock farm. Yeah. So are you in transition right now? Are you still working somewhere and on the farm? How are you, how are you getting this thing off the ground? Yeah, for sure. So um, I haven't sold anything for Marigold yet, so I don't have any income. And so I'm definitely working other jobs to have some income. And so I'm helping out with ACEs or Rock Bottom Ranches, um, kind of organizing their apprenticeship program and like the workshops and trainings and whatnot. And then also babysitting a lot, which I think like June, July, August, I'll still be doing some part-time work, but more energy on like irrigating and livestock. And then in the fall and winter, pick up some other work as well. Yeah. I feel like that has to happen with young people starting farms. It just, unless you're, um, you know, you've grown up on the ranch or in, inheriting property. It's like you have to make that. I think that's something that I am curious about talking to people about is that transition and that balance because it just it you have to find something that works for you. So you found that kind of this niche of working for this nonprofit ranch that you've been working for, doing babysitting, kind of picking up the gigs. Yeah, like when you're building a farm, starting a business, like you don't have an immediate income. And most businesses like increase sales and revenue over years. And so, um, yeah, like a second or third job is critical. Um, but it's also, I don't know, it's kind of just a nice like change of pace to 
the week, the month, the day. Like, I definitely, my, like, passion is in agriculture. I don't want to be, like, a professional babysitter. But um, it also, like, other jobs, like, help, like, community building for the farm and, like, potential customers. So I guess there's some perks of not being in a pasture by yourself every day. I totally agree. I feel like getting in town, talking to people about what you're doing, giving them just kind of keeping that line of communication open with the community and then they'll they'll come out and support you and, and buy your products. Speaking of products, tell me about um tell me about what meat you're selling, how you're selling it, um, and how you're processing it. This season I will just have chicken as a product. Um and so I'm selling my chicken um I'm operating Marigold off of two different properties. One property I'm leasing through Payton County Open Space, and then another property I'm subleasing from Harper, who leases through Payton County Open Space. And so um, Harper runs a vegetable farm called Two Roots, and so she has a CSA pickup twice a week, every week. So I will be selling chickens there um, to her CSA customers. And then she also has a farm stand on Fridays. So I'll be selling chickens there. And then kind of just through word of mouth, like one-off, um, sales. Like if you want to pick up from Marigold or maybe deliver, I haven't really gotten into that yet. Um, so yeah, so a lot of, it's been great to work with Harper and, um, sublease from her and kind of hopefully get to know some of her CSA customers as they're buying chickens for me. Yeah. Has that been kind of a fun marketing? Like, are you, are you guys going to start kind of merging your marketing into one kind of a partnership or is it going to be very much two different companies just working together temporarily? I would say maybe like a mix of both, like definitely like two different operations, but like encouraging customers to support both and um i think there's like definitely a potential for a kind of like farm support relationship between marigold and two roots for like years to come um i think they like complement each other um and so there's no like specific marketing that's like just these two operations together kind of thing but like in her CSA newsletter, like Marigold Livestock's mentioned and like Marigold Livestock will like bring people to the farm stand to pick up chicken and then maybe they buy some vegetables while they're there. Definitely. Are you slaughtering chickens on your own or are you going to Rock Bottom Ranch? I'm slaughtering them myself um, using Rock Bottom Ranch equipment. Okay. And um, my goal is to have four people. And we're, I'm slaughtering batches of 50 at a time. So my batch of 150 is being split up into three slaughters. That's the plan now. It could change. Maybe it will be two batches of 75. Um, but I just want to start with 50 because that feels hopefully reasonable and attainable and not too exhausting after completion. Yeah. It can be such a hard, long day, especially if something, if anything goes wrong, having that batch of 50 is not too hard to to just get done quickly yeah like i keep thinking 100 plus like i mean just any slaughter like the cleanup the setup the cleanup the packaging like it's just like such a process 
to get chicken from the field to the consumer that um with not a lot of hands it obviously then becomes slower and even that much more exhausting so not trying to hate it <laughs> but also like i've planned 12 chicken slaughters and then two or maybe just one turkey slaughters we'll see um so it's like 13 to 14 days of slaughter which is like 13 and 14 like setup and cleanup days so i may at the end combine some slaughters so it's like less days of it yeah just logistics to work out for folks who don't know what aces and rock bottom ranches um Alyssa and i just for some background Alyssa and i met working at this ranch um a couple summers ago do you want to explain what that nonprofit is and what the ranch is yeah sure so rock bottom ranch is part of aces which is the aspen center for environmental studies and so yeah taylor and i met there a few summers ago which was super great and um rock bottom ranch is a production farm ranch and so it's also open to the public and so um people can come walk around there's farm tours there's summer camps there's school field programs in the summer um there's dining events it's like a very busy public place but it's also doing diversified livestock that's all pasture-based and diversified intensive vegetable um farming so it's a pretty cool place for the community to actually see small-scale agriculture. Um, and then Rockman Ranch is part of ACES, as I mentioned, and ACES does a few other things in addition to just having a ranch. They do lots of environmental education through school, um, like educators in the classrooms teaching, field programs. They have naturalists who give tours to locals and tourists um, about local ecology, and they have like a forest research and health department. So lots of things going on, but Rock Bottom Ranch is where I have been working and where I met Taylor. So um, besides working at uh, Rock Bottom Ranch, what are other experiences that sort of helped you start your own operation? Did you take um, any like online courses? Did you attend any workshops? Did you go volunteer on other farms? What'd that look like? I have attended a handful of conferences um, which I think was a really cool way to meet farmers all over the country and kind of make those connections. And I feel like Instagram has created an opportunity to like stay in touch with those farmers and like see what they're doing and how their operations evolve and grow. And so I think that's been a really valuable, um, kind of way to build a support and community um, by other people who are doing similar things to you, maybe in totally different states or sides of the country, but still have similar successes and struggles. Um, and then I've read a lot of books. Um, I've visited a lot of farms. Um, I've predominantly the vast majority of all my farming happened at Rock Bottom Ranch, but I did work in like smaller part-time capacities at a few other farms. Um, and then I specifically tried to take advantage before I started my own farm to visit a few operations um, this past December when I was home in California visiting family for the holidays. And so I guess you yeah, kind of a mix of like in-person visits, in-person like volunteering, working, reading, looking at Instagram, seeing what people are doing. Um, I feel like my Instagram is like 
predominantly agriculture related and like farmers and farms. Um, and now that I have a Marigold Instagram, it's even like more focused on just agriculture. And so it's just like, I don't know, a great tool to like see what people are doing. Um, and I think it's like a really welcoming platform for like questions and support. So tell me about how you found land of your own. So you're under a lease from, you said Pitkin County. Um, so they, part of your land is leased from their open space. And then the other part is subleased from, uh, a good friend of yours who has leased land from Pitkin County. So none of it is owned by anybody. It's just, it's all leased, but tell me about the process of applying for that land. Like how accessible is that? Did you, was that an easy process for you or is it pretty challenging? Yeah. So both my properties, whether I'm like subleasing or leasing are owned by Peyton County open space and trails, um, which is a super cool like organization of Peyton County. Um, and about gosh, maybe like seven to 10 years ago, they started buying agricultural land to lease out to farmers and ranchers. And so it's like a fairly new program. Um, I know a handful of people who are farming and working on open space land, but it's not like there's dozens of properties. And so as I was considering um, starting my own operation, I was kind of like looking at private land options to lease from and then considering leasing from county open space. Um, Buying land in this area for me was not an option or really consideration because land prices are so high. And so I was looking at like private or publicly owned land. And um, after a handful of conversations with private folks, I kind of felt that working at the county would be a better fit for my desires and um, intentions. And so different parcels of different pieces of open space lands like come up for lease on kind of a random schedule because people sign leases for a different amount of years and then they come up and the individual may reapply or they may not. Um, and so essentially in the fall, basically they put out a request for proposals for two parcels at Glacier Open Space. And Glacier Open Space is like over 250 acres and it has like mountain bike trails. It has um, some agriculture parcels that they've carved out as like different leases and then some areas that they're trying to restore and improve that may one day enter agriculture leases. Um, and so two parcels opened up. One was three acres and one was 81. And so I kind of just decided to apply for both because three acres felt like it wasn't going to be enough for growth. Um, and, but the three acres was really appealing because it had some infrastructure on it. It has kind of like a loafing shed and then access to a really large metal barn that I would share with another leaseholder. And so that was kind of the appeal for the three acres. And then the 81 acres is just lots of great pasture with really great water rights. And so that was the appeal for that. Um, and to allow growth at a faster rate than if I was just relying on my sublease. Um, so yeah, I created a proposal and I submitted it and I felt like pretty good about what I submitted because I just wrote like what I wanted to do for Marigold and was hopeful that it would like be a good fit. 
for like their management plan and what they were looking for. Um, but felt good that like, if I wasn't selected, like I put forward what I wanted to do and I wasn't like molding my plan for a landowner that wanted specific things done. Um, so that was due mid January and then end of January, um, they made a selection and I got a call saying that I was selected for both parcels, which was super, super exciting. Um, and then unfortunately it entered like a multiple month stall because there were some people that were very upset that they didn't get the land. Um, it was a pretty competitive group of proposals that were presented. Um, and so that definitely caused my lease to start a few months late which was a little nerve wracking because I didn't know, like I was mostly confident it would get like approved by the board and the county commissioners, but it hadn't been approved yet because I was having these like holdups. And so I was super grateful that I had my land, um, my sublease with Harper confirmed because that's where I built my brooder and where I started Marigold because I didn't have this other land until mid-May. Um, so that ended up um, being drawn out, but eventually it all got approved. And um, I have a five-year lease on this land, um, which in some ways like doesn't feel like that much time because it takes a while to like build a farm. Um, but I also feel like very comfortable with the lease and I feel comfortable that I could submit a proposal again and extend the lease. Um, and I. I'm super excited to steward all this land and kind of, yeah, build an operation and business off of it and be on it for many, many years. Yeah. Was it, do you recommend other young farmers kind of go the renting county land route in terms of finding land? Like, was that a, it sounded like it was kind of rocky for a second. Like it was kind of a difficult process at some points, but ultimately you got access to an awesome piece of land and are going to be there for five years. Um, was it an affordable option that was something that you would advise? No, I think, I mean, if I didn't have essentially any county land, because even my sublease is off of county land. And so if like our county didn't have um, this program, like I'm not sure I would have started a farm um, because land is a critical piece. And so I think, unfortunately, there aren't many counties that have the budget to buy agriculture land and lease it out at a really, really affordable rate. Um, but those that do and those that have that program or have the capacity, I think it's well worth the money um, to invest in agriculture and make it a feasible career path and business option for kind of like the next generation of farmers and ranchers. Yeah. Does Pitkin County have a particular purpose for that land? Like they want to lease out to young farmers or regenerative farmers, or is it just kind of like, um, there's just the principles that they're just leasing out to farmers in general. Yeah, for sure. So they um, want to kind of keep the ranching and agriculture um, farming, like heritage of the valley alive and they also want to give opportunity to up-and-coming farmers and ranchers so um they definitely like 
have, um, so each like open space has a management plan of like what certain things they want to focus on or do. And most of the agriculture parts of all these management plans or all of them have a like regenerative, organic, local um, emphasis. And so proposals that are providing food for the valley are definitely weighted heavier and more um, competitive than those who are maybe just growing food or raising hay and cattle and shipping it out elsewhere like they want it to stay in the community um to some degree and they also yeah like doesn't need to be certified organic but organic natural practices regenerative like they definitely um kind of have like progressive views towards agriculture not saying that they don't value um other approaches or other um styles of agriculture but um and they've definitely leased to um, different types of ranching and farming, but I think as it becomes more competitive, they're going to kind of go in a direction of like those who are providing food for the local economy and like essentially like improving the land and, um, building healthier soils. So that was really perfect because that's what I want to do. And that's all of the, like, yeah, the, goals of my operation. So I guess like that's kind of why I felt like working with the county was like a good partner because we were aligned in the goals and they think that livestock are super valuable for the land. And so I like talked to multiple private owners who once they found out I wanted to raise livestock were like a little more hesitant. Um and so it's really great to have a landowner who wants livestock on the land and wants to see that happen and like yeah allow that to happen i myself have started a farm in the last five years but i'm super curious about i'm i would love to support young people in those first five years that's just fascinating to me and like things that i worried about on my first day here i was so stressed out about certain things and then i i got into it a little farther and i was like i don't that stuff doesn't even matter. I don't know why I was worried about that. And then other things I didn't really think I was going to worry about did come up and and present itself to be an issue. So what what are some problems that you're facing in this process of starting an operation? Like it can be marketing, business, um, ecological, you know, social, anything. What are some challenges that you've had? And then what are some successes that really surprised you? I guess like the first thing that pops to my head is I didn't like fully recognize the fact that I owned zero tools from like a screwdriver to a rubber mallet to a shovel to a rake. Like I, some people just like have some stuff at their house, but like I've lived at a ranch. I've never bought my own tools. I had the exact same situation. I went and I got a sh- I bought a shovel and I was like this is ridiculous. I did not think this through that every little thing you have to start over. Yeah. So I like budgeted for all these for like a uh, impact driver and a drill and a weed whacker and like all these big things but like tiny things like a screwdriver or a shovel. And like there's so many opportunities to get like used shovels or all that stuff but like in the moment when you need a shovel because you need to muck out a stall that 
you don't have a shovel for, you have to go like buy a brand new shovel down the road because that's the only option you have. And so like those little things, um, I guess I wish I would have like started stockpiling things sooner. Um, and I did have some like great like Facebook purchases that um, like I bought stall mats from someone in like December and I'm so grateful to have this like stack of stall mats that was so much cheaper than buying from tractor supply or Lowe's or wherever. And so um, I think I'm, yeah, now on the lookout for like any small thing that can be used like on a farm or a ranch, but I definitely like, I go to our local lumber store at least five times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, just because I'm building so many things right now and I need a different drill bit or I need more staples or now I need to like get eye bolts so I can like move the chicken houses. But like, I forgot that the last two trips or just all these like silly small things that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I go to this hardware store way too much. Yeah. I felt the same way. How, how are lumber prices affecting you? Yeah. So that's something that I was not expecting. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was like, cool. Like now's the time to build chicken houses. Um, so my brooder, I actually like kind of changed the plan because back in March when I was building it or February, um, plywood was $60 a sheet. And my brooder essentially is like plywood and then blue foam and then was going to be plywood as like the four walls because I was building it outside. And so I needed it to be insulated and like I built a little pitched roof. Um, And so, yeah, I was planning to do like plywood, foam, plywood. But at $60 a sheet, it seemed like excessive to be using two pieces of plywood for like every wall. Um, I had like a little bit of polycarbonate in the brooder to try to like um, absorb some UV rays, but a lot of plywood was going to be needed. And so I had bought a bunch of used corrugated roofing metal off of Facebook to use for my like pasture chicken houses. Um, And then I was just like, heck, like I'm going to use this inside my brooder. So I essentially lined the inside of my brooder with metal which metal is way less easy to work with than wood. Like it's hard to make it flush when you're cutting it. There's just like sparks and shocks in your face. And I have cut way more metal in the last two months than my entire farming career. Um, So yeah, so that was like a direct result of the lumber prices. And I thought they were high then. They have continued to go up. Um, So for my outdoor chicken houses um the framing is all two by twos by eight feet long and so when i bought those in um march for my first batch they were 475 a piece and now they're 780 which is like almost double and 475 was already high and so then i needed a piece of plywood for my houses for like the doors to come up um because I was like cutting the center out and putting hardware cloth, but having like one piece of wood for the frame is just so much more secure than like a bunch of pieces with brackets. So I went to buy plywood to finish the roofs like two weeks ago and it was $88 a sheet. 
And I like go to the checkout and I, it was like almost $200 for two sheets of like half inch CDX plywood. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? And so I bought it. And then like, I immediately called them and I was like, can I return this? And they're like, yeah, for sure. And I like kind of changed my roofing a bit so I could get three doors out of one piece. And then the fourth door, I just bought brackets and like used scrap pieces because I was just like, I'm not cutting up this almost $90 piece of wood. So I actually still have it. I didn't return it because I was worried I would need a piece of plywood and it would be like a hundred bucks in a few weeks. Um, but I haven't used it. It's like in storage, most expensive thing that's not being used by Marigold. You're just investing in plywood. Like most people are putting their money in Bitcoin and you're just putting your money into just going to stockpile plywood. <laughs> but apparently they say the prices are going to soon be going down. But it's just insane for the two by twos to increase almost by 50% over a few months as I'm trying to like build chicken houses and start a farm. So um, yeah, that's just been way out of my projected budget. Um, and also, I don't know if it's because of COVID, but like land price is higher right now. So um, that totally changed my plan. So I was going to buy like weaned lambs and raise them for meat and have a lamb product like late fall, early winter. Um, but lamb, like buying a weaned lamb was like way more money than like not more money than I would sell in cuts of meat. But when you take slaughter into effect, into account and raising it for six or eight months into account. Yeah. And you're buying fencing too at the beginning. For sure. So, um, and like, I don't understand this, but like weaned lambs are like the same price as like mature ewes. So I just went the mature ewe route or even like a ewe lamb. Um, because, so I'm just buying breeding stock because it, I think I would have lost money. Um, so that's also changed my like initial plan. Um, and yeah, so I guess, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's great that land prices are high when you have the product to sell. So I need to get there and hopefully it's still high and that would be great. Um, but yeah, so there are definitely a few things that I thought I like had thought of and definitely did not think of. Um, and then there's like other things that I've had success with that I've been like super proud. Like I'm really proud of the brooder I built. Um, the chicks say stay super warm. Um, I bought this like really nice heater that, um, has been really like efficient. And this last batch, I took their heater out after like 13 days and they're just like living in their warm brooder from the insulation and like the polycarbonate panels. And so that success has made me feel like I actually know what I'm doing because I definitely learned the importance of a like temperature regulated brooder and not having like drafty wind. And like, I've learned all that through my time um, raising chickens. And so it was cool to, I guess, be able to do something that I was confident about versus so many things of starting your own business are firsts for me. So to be like, Oh, I like do know how to farm. Like I can raise chickens. Like, Maybe I can't figure out how to like link my email sign up on my website, but I can 
I can build fence. In terms of like these difficulties that you are facing, some of them sound kind of uncontrollable. Like you can't really do much about lumber prices or land prices. Um, but there are some problems that, you know, young farmers in the Roaring Fork Valley are facing in terms of starting their first farm. What's something that you would advocate for in terms of a policy change or in terms of um, even just nonprofits working in Colorado or in the Valley? What's something maybe even you can think about this too, like what's something big that would help farmers a lot and some of these huge hurdles of starting a business, whether that be like offering business training, you know, um, making land, like communicating land availability better to young farmers. Um, kind of what are, what are some thoughts that come to your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have like a specific answer, I guess. So I like, I want sustainable small scale regenerative agriculture to be like a viable career. And I want people to be able to like make a modest living off of it and like be able to live off the ink, like off the, off the business. And so I like don't want a bunch of like free things to like, that would negatively affect the like economic stability and sustainability of the actual business. But on the flip side, I do think starting any type of business, especially like a farm or ranch, like takes a ton of resources and infrastructure. And so I fully support um, like grants or low interest loans that allow people to get a jump start in the beginning when they're not just buying shovels and a stable gun, they're also buying lumber or buying trailers or buying trucks or needing to buy a tractor. Like there's so many things that like add up um, for you to kind of like get past like homesteading to like greater production. And so I don't know, I guess I was able to get a 0% interest loan that really gave me the confidence and the financial ability to start Marigold. So I think operations or opportunities like that um, are like more opportunities like that would be really phenomenal. Obviously, like that's not how loaning works. You don't get 0% interest loans for things when you just want money. So I recognize that that's not um, maybe a solution, but but it is something that's becoming more, it's becoming much more popular than it once was. I, we have, yeah. we have a organization down here that does the same and I've heard about them popping up. So, um, that's super exciting. I, I'm wondering what's the name of the, um, like nonprofit or was it a bank? Was it a nonprofit? Yeah. So it's called, um, Two Forks, which is part of Slow Money. So I don't know if Slow Money is an or- organization that, does 0% interest loans or if they just do low interest loans, but like the two forks chapter of slow money has opted to do 0% interest loans um, that you like apply for and you get interviewed for and not everyone is offered the loan. Um, So that's the group that essentially allowed me to start. Um, So I guess, yeah, like creative funding opportunities, land, super critical. I think, um, 
as like the aspiring farmer ranch owner, you have to definitely like put in the time of making connections and reaching out to your community about available land. Um, and I think depending on where you are, there's different levels of, of availability. Um, and so, yeah, if there is any way to like bring that info together about like private landowners who want agriculture because they want like a tax break on their land. But yeah, I can't think of like anything super, super specific. Yeah, that's totally fine. I just was kind of curious, but it sounds like the, the loan has helped out a lot. I've known a lot of farmers who that like helped them get that first boost. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can't wait to pay it back and apply for another one that's bigger. So there's a lot of folks that are getting into um, regenerative agriculture, kind of not from an agrarian background. Um, For example, our program, the new agrarian program that runs, you know, we run an apprenticeship and these apprentices come from all over the country, all different backgrounds, and they're kind of just getting their feet wet in terms of working on a farm. So after someone's done with this apprenticeship, I mean, as a person who has worked in agriculture for quite a while, you've worked at the same operation for a long time. And then now going out on your own, what's some advice that you would give to a person fresh out of uh, their first agricultural internship? I would say keep farming. It gets even more exciting and more rewarding. And um, I think there's a ton of value of working on the same property multiple seasons. And I think there's also a ton of value of working at different properties. And so I think different opportunities may present themselves at different times, different people, like a lot of farm work is seasonal and your position ends and you don't, you can't continue it even if you had a great time there. And so I think, um, just yeah, checking out more operations, different styles of operations. Like if you, um, are you going to be working at the same one, like touring or talking to people? Because there's so many different ways to really do everything. Like even um, like you and I like have slightly different chicken houses, slightly different chicken waterers or whatnot. And um, I think it's really cool to see what other people are doing and like how you can tweak it to work on your property or wherever you go farm next. Because I think um, each piece of land is different. There's different amount of water, different grasses growing, different climate, different microclimate. Um, and so what you do one place may not work the next place. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of like exposing yourself to all different types. Absolutely. What keeps you farming? I love being outside and like the tangible success of agriculture that like you start something from a seed or a baby and have a product that is essentially like it's needed by our society like they need food and so to be contributing something that's actually like a critical need I think is really cool um and so as I've spent years working outside on the land I've started to pay attention to such tiny ecological environmental things, which has been a really cool perspective to be aware of the grasses or the different birds that come in or like exactly where the sun is at what time of day or when the sun starts being at a certain spot in the time of the year. And just these like really small, tiny things that are overlooked by so many careers and busy lifestyles that I have grown to really, really appreciate. So yeah, I guess... I don't know. I like the constant challenge 
and I like the tangible success. We'd like to thank Alyssa so much for joining us today. You can learn more about her farm at marigoldlivestock.com and find her on Facebook or Instagram using at marigoldlivestock. Now for the tips and tidbits section, where we share our tips to be a successful young agrarian, but also add a little humor to the long work days. So my tip for this week is to go to the thrift store and buy yourself a solid functioning crock pot. Uh, I was vegetarian for about five years before working on my first farm, uh, and they didn't allow me to be vegetarian because part of my compensation was uh, meat cuts. So essentially I had to learn how to cook and how to eat meat again, and it was quite an adventure. One thing that I learned though was um, most of the time the most available cuts are the tougher pieces, are the the ones that are a little harder to sell at the market. So roasts and shanks and oxtail bones and um, organ meats. Um, And a lot of these are really tough pieces of meat that are a little harder to cook quickly. And so I just went to the thrift store, found a really awesome little crock pot and learned how to make my own meals. Um, My favorite would be just to cover it you know, cover a lamb shank with salt and pepper and tons of um, Indian spices and cook that thing for probably eight hours while I went to work. And then when I come home, um, my house smells amazing and my meal's already there for me. So I just make a pot of rice and there you go. Dinner's ready. So that's my um, tip and tidbit for this week. If you have any suggestions for a tip or tidbit, please email us at newagrarian at quiveracoalition.org. Looking for a job in regenerative agriculture? Kavira Coalition has spent decades building a network within the regenerative agriculture community, so we're constantly finding awesome job postings, and we decided to send them to your inbox in our inspiring monthly newsletter. We find jobs and apprenticeships that will keep you learning and building your career, whether that involves moving cattle on a ranch or attending meetings in an office. The job that we're sharing this month is from Tomcat Ranch in Pescadero, California. They're hiring for their regenerative ranching apprenticeship. This advanced apprenticeship is ideal for someone who already has some experience in agriculture and who is interested in significantly expanding their skills, network, and career. Montana Audubon is hiring a conservation ranching manager. This position is based in Helena, Montana, and will help coordinate the expansion of Audubon's conservation ranching program in Montana. You can hear about upcoming opportunities by signing up for our newsletter at kaviracoalition.org. You can also find our past newsletters at kaviracoalition.org slash new agrarian slash resources. And stay tuned for more info coming soon about our 2022 new agrarian apprenticeships. Applications for the 2022 season will open November 1st. Be sure to check the website kaviracoalition.org slash new agrarian in October for updated site descriptions for all of the mentors who will be hiring. If you'd like to learn more about the program, send us an email at newagrarian at kaviracoalition.org. Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts to become a sponsor or Patreon supporter. 
We'd like to thank Kabira staff members, Leah Ritchie, Taryn Dixon, Taylor Sanders, Leah Potterwaite, Tyler Eshelman, and Tafari Finn for their contributions to producing this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. And we're grateful to our guests for taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thank you for listening.